Do you have sweaty balls or volleyball netty balls? It's time to make them ready balls. The Manscaped.com Lawnmower 3.0 will do the job and clean your knob with its patented no-nick head so your head will function as desired. Enter promo code WRESTLINGFUTURE for a generous 20% discount. That's enter WRESTLINGFUTURE for a 20% discount. Manscaped.com and wrestling with the future, going balls to the walls with Manscaped.com and the Lawnmower 3.0, your balls will thank you. And so will we. Tonight, we are wrestling with the future of Hollywood. And what better guest to have than Christine Nordstrom? She is a returning guest. She is an actress, a performance artist, a voice artist, a commercial performer, uh, and somebody who at the ripe old age of, because we never tell the woman's age, decided to throw everything in, go all in on this acting thing, and uh, so far it's panning out. Her films include The Night Train. Origin, The Process, Fireflies, The Patriot, oh, Patriot's Day, and Swing Girl. Um, now, I believe, Christine, before we go any further, sure. uh, let me just uh, talk about Patriot's Day. You were not credited in that film. No. Uh, what scene were you in? So it was real. Uh, it was funny because when I, so this is when I was first in acting school. And my teacher said, Christine, you just started acting school. Get on a big set. Do some background work. Just get on any set. See what it's like. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll submit, right? So I signed up for Boston Casting because they, you know, have a lot of opportunities for background acting. And, um, and they called me to go on set. And yeah. so they gave me the role of, you know, deep undercover police officer that was way deep in background, way, yeah. I mean, way, way deep in background. And uh, we were filming. And so I was an undercover police officer and we were filming at the Watertown police station in, in Watertown, Massachusetts. In Massachusetts. And it was yeah. actually the scene. So it was supposed to be the representation of the scene right before. Um, they got the call that the Boston, uh, you know, that the bombers were on the loose in Watertown, yeah, but also yeah. that there was an MIT bomber too, or there was a, like a something that was going on in MIT as well. Yeah, sure. So we were filming all day outside, and it was, I mean, I was deep background. It was boring. There was nothing going on for me, and they just would have me walk down one side of the street all the way down to the other, and you know, do it again, do it again, do it oh again. Oh my goodness. And then, so what did you just you you uh, you did what the same scene over and over again? Yeah, did you get to work with Mark. Well, it's interesting because what happened was they decided they needed to film upstairs with J.K. Simmons. Okay, so J.K. Simmons sure. was, was the captain, and they had to film the police officer scene. They had to film roll call, roll call right before they sent the police officers out. Right, but. There was some, I don't know what was going on, but there was some type of altercation or so, something happened on set where 
they needed a female. They needed a female police officer, but they didn't have one. And yeah. so Peter Berg was upset and he's screaming on the set. What do you mean we're supposed to have a police? Where is this police? Officer? We don't have a female police officer. And he just gets so passionate about his film. And it has to be the way it was. He wants a clear, yeah. you know, see-through representation of exactly what happened. So the police officers that were... Um, that were on set. There were a few actual police officers that were on duty that night from Watertown to make sure that that set was perfect. Yeah. And so Peter Berg's looking around, looking around, looking around, and he looks at me and he goes, you, and he screams from across the street. He goes, get over here now. <laughs> and so he, so about five assistants run over to grab me. They pull me inside the police station. I have no idea what I'm doing. They start flipping <laughs> up. They start stripping down my clothes and they said, Peter wants you to be the female police officer. And they have co they costumes coming over with walkie talkies. Quick, get her in costume. What size hat is she? What size leg is she? And my clothes are coming off. There's actors all around me <laughs> and looking down at me. And so they put me front and center in the camera at roll call. So I was fortunate enough to get pulled right from Peter, Bur you know, for, you know, pulled from Peterburg yeah. and to actually get in that scene. So that was my first experience. And I'm thinking, wow, this is crazy. And I love it. <laughs> of all the films too, you know, to, to work with the Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you know, it was, it was such a, I have to tell you, Angela, it was such a personable experience for me. First of all, it was my first time on background, first time ever doing anything on a big, anything. Sure. But after the scene was filmed, and it was filmed a few times, you know, for safety and for all that stuff. And, you know, I got to hear J.K. Simmons was such a funny guy, and he was telling great stories to us all. And, and he's such a personable guy, and he's a funny guy. And uh, so, but... You know, after a few hours, we got to leave the set. And as I was walking down the stairs, those existing, those, you know, real Watertown police officers that were on duty that night that were there on set to make sure that it was actually a real representation. Yeah. They came up to me and they had said, you know, do you know why you're there? And I said, no, I really don't. And they said, well, because Peter didn't fill me in. No one really filled me in. They just pulled me and threw me in the scene. And so they said, well, you know, the officer said, you're there representing the actual female police officer that yeah. was there. And then they proceeded to take pictures with me, send those pictures to the real female, the real girl that was on duty that night. Yeah. And they told me their personal stories about how it impacted them and what they actually did that night. And they yeah, brought sure. me to tears. They brought me to tears because I realized that oh, even sure. a small background role can can make the it it, it means so much. Well, to when real you're people. talking about a film of, of that magnitude that had such impact, yeah, no, there's no stories ever small. It there's never a small story on a set like that. And even though your role may be you know, inconsequential or, you know, just a, a walk on or just to be there to have a, what they call in the film industry to have a body. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. you just need a body there, mm. but you know, in the grand scheme of things, all of that adds up. It all counts. It all matters. 
you know, you, you was talking about Peter Berg being so passionate. Mm. It matters. It certainly matters to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it matters to his budget. <laughs> the very large budget he has. <laughs> exactly. So you are a returning guest and welcome back. Uh, I should tell everyone that you were supposed to be here tonight with Stephen Plim, <gasps> our good friend. Uh, uh, I just actually just got off the phone with Stephen from Hollywood. He's in uh, he's in Los Angeles. Uh, not that he wants to be there. Um, I will forego why he's there, but it's a, a, a personal tragedy for him. And he's dealing with a little bit of grief right now. But mm-hmm. Stephen is a tough cookie. As are we all, and uh, he will be back to Des Moines before we know it, and uh, back in rare form, let's just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> and he told me to tell you, and I quote, you tell that little girl, I said, and this is a direct quote, you tell that little girl, I said, I love her and break a fucking leg. Oh, oh, that is so sweet. That that is so sweet. He's going through such a tragic time. And still, you know, he's still reaching out to me. And and to hear that coming from you, that's so sweet. Thank you for passing. Well, and he was walking on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and he tripped over his star, said Christine Nordstrom on (gasps) the So, uh, I am I am told by a little birdie that you were moved by that little star. I really was. That was so sweet. Let's talk about why a woman in her mid-40s throws everything away and decides to chase the dream of being a movie actress. What prompts the, the, the ego, the psyche, or the mindset, or all three, to say, you know what, I, I don't like my life, I don't want this from my life, I want more, and you just pick up and throw everything away and say, I'm going to be an actress. How does that happen and why? <laughs> what happens is you go through a traumatic experience, right? You go through something that that really slaps you in the head and says, what the hell have you been doing your whole life And why are you living by society's design? Why are you living by a standard that everyone sets for you? And I've been doing that my whole life. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always been, not my whole life, but I've always been a creative by nature. So I've, you know, been into the arts, been into drawing, been into ballet. And I went to school at a young age for filmmaking, but gave up that dream because I wanted the dream of having a house, having a family, having kids. Yeah. I, bought in, I bought into that and that didn't work out so well for me. Right. So when it didn't work out, I so well, like, yeah, I'm like, I want, I want to do what I want to do. I want to pursue my own, you know, we only live in this planet once. And I, I, I swear at that moment when I decided, you know what, acting school, I'm going to do this. That was the that was the moment that I woke up and took my life back. That was the moment that I started having happiness and joy in my life and pleasure, and my kids started getting happy, and I was happy. And um, yeah, slapped well, in the it head. It sounds like it. Whatever happened, whatever the root cause was, yeah. was profound enough that it affected you. To go out and and do what you wanted to do. However, you are a a person that, quite frankly, you're up against some obstacles. 
you uh you you've got you've got some obstacles to over you know overcome and to uh some hurdles to jump let's be uh, you know honest and clear about it. <laughs> i uh, like the challenges <laughs> you're a, a youthful looking woman but let's be uh, let's be real clear about it you're yeah. you're not going to get the part of the 25 year old cheerleader oh of course not and nor would however, i want that <laughs> however there are as luck would have it and as chance would have it there are burgeoning roles now for mature women um powerful women women that are take charge uh to show who they are uh you are a woman who luckily enough fall into two categories you're a mature woman who looks youthful so good for you thank you (laughs) but there are roles for people like you have you had much luck either achieving these roles trying for these roles making yourself known and available for these roles and what is the general consensus when you go up for a part and they find out that you're of a certain age bracket sure that's that's Wow, that's like five questions all in all in one rolled that's up. That's why there. I get paid the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, so do I have the opportunity to audition for these types of parts? Yes, absolutely. And it's competitive. Yes, absolutely, because there are a lot of female actors out there that have been doing this for a very, very, very long time since they were you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and still stayed in the industry. So I do have, you know, I'm up against, you know, a lot of a big competition because at this, you know, age of the game, usually childhood actors that were in the industry and up until 30, then they kind of back away. But there are still some actresses who are still in the industry. Mm -hmm. So those roles are very limited, but they are out there. do I have the opportunity to audition? Yes, I do. Um, have I been getting those parts? Um, that's a good question. Um, I have been getting now more mature parts than when I first started. Right. So, so those opportunities do come, but it's it's a little more competitive. Mm-hmm. And um, and what was your fourth or fifth question there i think i answered just a couple <laughs> uh well you know, are you you're trying out you're clearly trying out for everything that comes your way um this is a, a better way to put it so you're you're clearly trying out for everything that comes your way and you're making yourself available what's the general consensus when you go up for these parts that i think was the last question i asked the general consensus, you know, it's 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 interesting. When they find out that you're of a certain age bracket, yeah, do they thank you for coming? Uh, you know, yeah. they're looking for somebody younger. You know, most of the time, well, you know, it's it's interesting because there are not many casting directors that will divulge that information after you left. You always want a casting director to give you some pointers. You know, how to how to do, or is there anything I can prove on? you know, in case I do come here again, but a lot of casting directors, once you come in and do the audition, they yeah. don't, 
they're, they're done with you. You know, they're done. If Pretty they much, yeah. If you, don't, if you don't fit it, unless you have a really good relationship with that casting director, that casting director will come back to you and say, and say something. Say, you know, if you do reach back out and say, yeah. you know, give me some constructive criticism so I can work on it next time. But, you know, I'm very good at, you. Can, you you're very good, and I'm sure, Angela, you are too, at reading people, right? You can read people. So when you That's know. That's what I do. Yeah, when you know you know when you're talking to someone and before you go into the audition or we, even when you're talking to someone mm -hmm. or uh, even like a well, job you interview. Know what? You, that, that, you, that's a really good point to stop in. And, and I, I want to stop you there because you prompted a question. Yes. A really good point to ask you this. Okay. You know, are you ever surprised at the reaction from casting directors? They generally, and for people who don't know, let's just kind of pull the veil back a little bit. Let's pull the layer of the onion back a little bit mm -hmm. and let, let people understand what we're talking about. A casting director is your front line of defense if you're making a movie. You're a, a producer, you're a director, you're putting your trust, your faith, and confidence in this individual who largely, that's the only time you'll ever deal with them, is at the beginning process. And their job literally is to cast a film. Once they cast that film, the director and producer are done with them. They'll probably never see them again until the next film. And that may be down the road. Has it been your experience that this position is in any way political or can you having been through the process a time or two can you gauge yourself mentally to kind of know what's coming know what they want what they're looking for um yeah you know you, you have to do as much research as possible and so social media is a wonderful tool when it comes I'm sure to it is. <laughs> oh absolutely and i'm very good at collecting data so, um, you know, just my corporate research paralegal background. So I'm very good at, at looking into casting directors and researching a specific casting director that, uh, that I want to work on a particular project or that's having holding auditions. And then, you know, seeing who they cast, what their look is like, who mm -hmm. they who they put in certain places. So it's a lot of research. It's just like if you were going for a job, you want to know about that company, what they do, what their sure. assets are. You know, you want to know as much as possible. So I think that, uh, I think, is it political? I don't like to get in that political state of mind. I like to get into the mindset of I do my research. I see what that casting director typically cast for what right. role, what the, what look they like, because, you know, casting directors can like a certain look and others like another look and others sure. like, a, so I try to cater to that a little right. bit, a little bit, but I still don't want to lose my, myself. Well, you um, have to maintain who you are, of course. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, um, but once they find out, you know, when they, when, when some do find out my age, they're like, they, you know, right away, you look Fantastic! You look great. You look wonderful. Bye. <laughs> See exactly. you later. <laughs> well, that's why that that that's why I phrased the question the way I did. Yeah. Um. You know, and we've not we have to this point not divulged your age, and I'm not going to. Um. Just in case any casting directors are watching. 
<laughs> That's okay. And, and, and I know that there are at least two right now watching. I know this because I invited them. Um, the other thing is, uh, and we have to look, it's the elephant in the room. We've got to talk about it. Sure. It, it is a political business. It is a business based on look. Uh, it's, it's, and that's, uh, you know, it's 5% talent. It's 95% visibility. That's what this, the film business is a visual medium. Okay. You don't have to necessarily be incredibly gifted talent wise. God knows there are plenty of people making a living that have no fucking talent whatsoever. A lot of them working. Um, you know, there's, and there's no accounting for good taste in some cases. However, there are a great number of people who have talent and have ethic and have uh, morality, a, a level of morality that are making a very, very good living in the film business. Uh, you seem to fall into that category. Um, I don't see you shortcutting yourself. Um, although there are people who I'm sure will at some point if not now, perhaps later, try to play the casting couch game with you. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, and, it's, and I know it's already happened. Yeah. Yeah, I want to know. I can, I can sniff that away. I can, I can sniff that right out. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So here's the thing. Yeah. When you get that inkling, when you get a little whiff of that. Yeah. What is the, the instinct? Do you need the role that bad that you... Oh, no. Okay, well, let's talk oh, no. about... Oh, no, no, no. Let's, let's talk about that then. Let's talk about what roles are important and what are worth staying away from, staying away from the casting couch for. Careers, by the way, and you know this. Mm. This is no secret. Careers have been built and destroyed, incidentally, mm. on the casting couch. Absolutely. It, and it does exist, ladies and gentlemen, it does exist. It is a real thing. Mm. It happens then. It's happening now. It will never go away. The casting couch is a real tool used by slimeball promoters and sleazy producers and directors in the film industry. Uh, God knows, you know, I spent a, a lifetime in professional wrestling and, and it exists there. I will tell you straight up it exists there. Wow. So I, I know it exists in Hollywood because I've been a part of that sordid world as well. There's not much I haven't done. And I think if you, if you, you read, my, read my bio, you'll understand that. Here's the thing, though. This is not about me. This is about you. Um, you decided, though, Christine, at, you know, this, this late in life, really, like in your late 40s, just to kind of like... I'm going to go, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to go for it. You had to have met resistance from family and friends who said you're out of your mind, you're crazy, what are you doing, you're throwing everything away. Your response to that? Um, it was funny. When I told my mother what I was doing, my mother said, my mother's a little French lady. You know, she's from France. She's very strict, very proper. So she, uh, you know, she's, you know, she saw my career in corporations and, you know, what I've had going on for me. And then when I told her what I was doing, she looked at me and she just shook her head and she goes, are you on drugs? 
<laughs> Are you on drugs, Christine? Um, but you know, it's it's funny. Um, after the dust settled, a lot of friends left. A lot of friends left. They didn't understand what I was doing. They 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 didn't want to understand what I was doing. That was going to be my next question. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Did they support you and understand what your goal was, or did they bail? Most so of them they bailed. bailed on you. So most so in divorce, I think when you divorce someone or when you go through a divorce, you have lots of married couples as friends. So yeah. you know that that they part, you know, you you lose them. But then I my personal friends, you know, I lost a lot of them. But the ones that stayed and the ones that are still here with me now, which I can count on my hands, are the ones that it was nice because now I know who my real friends are and that support me and that will be there for me no matter exactly. what. So they're my core. They're not fake. They're not, you know, they, they've been through it all with me and they're still there to support me and they will be there supporting me throughout the rest of my life. So I don't Let need a question. Yeah. There's a, a young man in your life. Um, call him young man. He looks older than you. He's your son, Ethan. Oh. Uh, your son <laughs> must have had that yeah. that uh, that merry-go-round moment where he thought maybe perhaps his mother was losing her her marbles a little bit. What did your son think? <laughs> My sons. So I have three, but Ethan um, actually. Bless your heart. <laughs> actually, actually, when Ethan, came, it was funny. Uh, Ethan, you know, they saw that what I was going through in divorce and, and that was really hard on them. Um, but, you know, fast forward, they live with me now. They don't want anything to do with dad. They live with me now. And when Ethan went on set with me, when I first started working, he came on set with me a few times. Right. And the kids were fascinated. Absolutely fascinated. They thought it was the coolest thing. And they totally 100 support me, like 100%. Here's support the magic me. question. Yeah. Here is the magic question. Did you rub off on them? Do they is the bug contagious? No. No. Really? No. And I'm trying I always wanted to find out how much of that rubs off on the kids. Do they want a piece of it? No. Because in the wrestling business, that's what happens. I, you know, I tried to coax Ethan into going into acting school because, yeah. or, or modeling school because he's tall and slim and he just I has. Say, I mean, he looks like your father. He looks older than you. <laughs> he let his hair grow because he's, oh, old. Okay. We, you know, he doesn't want to get his hair cut because the excuse. He is a tall, the tall kid. He's what? Over six foot easily. Well, he's, he's getting there. He's, he's almost there. Almost there. I was going like, to say, he, he appears. He, he appears to me to be a tall guy. But then again, when you're five foot three, everybody's tall. <laughs> um, but he looks like a, you know, a strapping young lad. Uh, so you got three sons and, uh, and they're all supportive. When gratefully. I you know, I'm sure that you're grateful. Um, and none of them want to be a part of the business. That really strikes me as odd. It really, really does. No, have they given you any reason? I'm sure you've talked to them about like this, you know, metamorphosis you're experiencing in life. Uh, you know, you have your 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 kids there to confide in. What do they say? They are 100 percent supportive and there's nothing. They tell me to go for it. Um, 
you know, and they're there to help me. You know, I had Ethan the last time I was on your show, Ethan's helping me set up the, set up the lights, you know, set up the camera, set up, uh, you know, yeah. everything. And they, they're 100% supportive. They have their own little things they like, you know, Ethan is a big computer nerdy kind of, kind of kid. And yeah. Brendan is a football guy, you know, he loves, oh, Okay. yeah, he's a football guy. And my older one, he's, um, he's a bunch of, you know, he's a gamer and a football guy, but, um, but no, they're 100% supportive. They had never had any. Yeah. Yeah, there was never Let's any doubt. talk about some of your work. I mentioned, uh, just offhand, I mentioned, you know, at the beginning of the show, some of your credits. Yeah. Uh, Patriots Day, I'm, I'm guessing because you were uncredited, that may have been spur of the moment, that may have been probably your first one. Mm. Yes. Okay. So we know a little bit about that, and that's a great story. How did Swing Girl find your way? Oh, that was interesting. I um, I needed headshots, so I needed headshots. <laughs> my first time to get headshots. So it was my first time getting headshots, and you know I just started putting my you know the pieces together, right? So when you when you become something, you know, when you become an actress, or when you go into a different industry, you know, you get your pieces together. So the first piece was acting classes, then, you know, getting on the large set as a background person, then putting together my, you know, my uh, headshots so that way I can, you know, put the larger piece together and start sending out stuff so I can get yeah. roles. And so I remember it was around uh, October of 2015, I posted one of my first headshots and I looked like this witchy woman, like I had this big, long black hair and I have this grin on my face and I got my hands in my pocket and I'm just looking all badass, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and a director right away. I posted that photo and a director based on that photo reached out to me and said, I want to meet you. I have an opportunity for you. I've been working on a script and I think you'd be perfect for it, but I want to meet you first. Great. So, so someone from the industry took me down to meet him and uh, she was a producer and we sat at a cough, had some coffee and he asked me to interpret and do these few things, you know, recalling some emotions. Sure. And I did that during it. And he said, you got it. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. And I worked so hard for that role so hard because i had to cry on cue cry on camera yeah. and that are was you, uh, uh, are you one who can recall sense memory and if, if you're an actor or actress you understand what i mean when i say sense memory absolutely absolutely so tell everybody what the hell i'm talking about <laughs> so so you create these uh these um situations with your character you create these memories. It's like emotional recall, sensory exactly. recall. You create these fictional stories so you can write down these situations with your character and you can talk about what your character goes through that stimulates a certain um, st stimulates a certain emotion. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. Uh, and and I did I did for my for this swing girl, I remember doing a, an emotional recall um that uh that you know i had you know in the film i had a daughter and the daughter winds up you know dying she she died yeah. and um and so you know you can't you can't think about your own children dying to put because that would mess with you psychologically if you would have exactly so you have to do this fake scene 
So I I remember doing a fake scene for her, which was very difficult. And as I was going through it and crying based on my sensory work and in the film, the camera was rolling and rolling. They called cut, but I couldn't get out of it. I was still crying and crying. The director comes over to to tap me and I said, leave me alone (laughs) because I was still in character. That happens. And it's a a dangerous trap to fall into. There are, uh, for people who who really uh, understand what sense memory work is, um, understand Stanislavski and the Strasberg method and the Meisner method. Oh, yeah. Um, and people like that, and even Stella Adler and uh, Una Hagen, yeah. some of the great acting teachers, have all based their the core of their work around your real life. So when Christine talks about having to pull real emotion for a fake part, it's a slippery slope because sometimes it will screw with you, you know, in your head. Uh, oftentimes it's, it's easy enough just to get out. Right. That's easy enough to get out. Right. The problem is when it becomes difficult and it affects you to that level where you 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 know swipe away the director and say get out don't let me go away <laughs> exactly like Christine Nordstrom did. <laughs> <laughs> so do you prefer one method over the other? You know, and what? give people an example of, uh, uh, for example, give people uh, the difference between let's say sense memory Strasberg style and sense memory Stanislavski. Uh. Okay, well, you know, those are two, you know, you're, you're both pulling from emotional recall. Yeah. Um, and if I, let's see, you're both pulling from emotional recall. With Stanislavski, though, Stanislavski is, the, is more physicality. So I think with Stanislavski, you're dealing with more the physicality of the character. So you're doing a full, you're working on it's the, the character's physicality, the character, you're doing the background work, what date and time, is the spine of the film? When did that come from? Did this person work as a construction worker? If so, does he have calluses in his hand? Yeah. How does that feel in your hand, right? Exactly. How does that feel? Exactly. And, it's a but, very uh, unique form of acting preparation. And it, it's it's really, at the core of it, very emotional. Um, were you prepared for that? onset of emotion when you threw yourself into that part or did that catch you by surprise no it didn't catch me by surprise i had a really fantastic um acting teacher and coach alessio capoletti out of providence and Mm -hmm. he would get us into uh he would he trained us before we get into that depth those you know that that deep of emotions he would train us to slightly get our feet wet a little bit with a little bit of motions and then come yeah. back out again. And so he trained us very carefully because we he had to make sure that we was, could psychologically handle it. Mm-hmm. Because some, some acting students that were in class couldn't handle it and they would want to punch out their scene partner. <laughs> I mean, 
They because yeah. they couldn't because no, I understand. with yeah. anger they couldn't they couldn't get past the anger phase. It, they went so deep and internally yeah. that they actually took it out on. So so there were some situations that were scary, but my acting coach was fantastic about uh, helping us get in and out of those characters and in and out of those emotions. And yeah. we had to carry these little um, reminders on our body, so that way when we were acting or in these scenes that we could easily pull out, let's say, a picture of something from my real life, like yes. a picture of my son or like, uh, you know, a, you know, any, a, a little locket, or, you know, that I would sure. hear that my husband gave me or something that would remind me and ground me about who I was. Exactly. So I could get out of that character. Um, one time, the first time from especially that one, it took me two days to get out of that character. I mean, well, first, let's I, talk about that. You just said something that people can probably resonate with. That you, uh, we are all familiar with uh, Jim Carrey's work on Man in the Moon, where he played Andy Kaufman. Uh, it took him months, literally months, to shake Andy Kaufman's persona from his real personality he became andy and it really psychologically screwed with him even to the point where today if you look at jim carrey he's not the same guy he's really not uh, and i've known people who have lost themselves uh fortunately they're they're back but who have lost themselves in parts you're talking about something that happened to you for a two-day period. I can uh, not even imagine losing myself for two days, let alone seven or eight months in the case of Jim Carrey. But some, especially when you're playing a real person, uh, and this happens, when you're playing a real person, uh, you run the risk of absorbing that person's spirit, that person's energy, as in the case of Man on the Moon with Jim Carrey, where he became, he literally became Andy, you know? And his grounding, to use your words, his grounding was to be reminded of Tony Clifton, another character that Andy Kaufman portrayed. But for Jim Carrey, Andy Kaufman's character of his characterization of Tony Clifton was an escape. Oh. That was his out. Oh, interesting. He, got, he had to leave Andy to get into Tony. So to get into and, somebody else. And that was his breakaway. Oh. Yeah, that was his breakaway. But it will screw with you mentally. You know, and they say that wrestling and acting are great if you have multiple personality disorder. <laughs> they really are. Uh, and a lot of actors are really, really good because they are broken people. I'll give you a perfect example, and I'll, I'll name their names because they're great actors. Al Pacino. He's a broken guy. Great actor, though. Kevin Spacey is a broken individual. But a hell of an actor can do anything. A great number of these people are broken at their core. De Niro, Pesci, um, Kevin Costner. 
amazing actors, but they're all damaged goods. That's what makes them so good. I so, see. I think I know the problem, though, Christine. What's that? You haven't made it because you're not screwed up enough. <laughs> That's the problem. I like to think of it. I like to think of it this way. I like to think of those great actors that they take on so many different personalities and different characters that, yes, they do lose themselves mm -hmm. because now they have this ability to understand all these different psychological rhythms with other people. And they're not, they do lose themselves. They lose a piece of themselves, but they come like a, like a fl more fluid, just more flow and just, they're not, yeah. they're not. Well, what happens, Christine, when they can't find themselves anymore? Well. Look at Robin Williams. That poor bastard killed himself because he didn't know who he was. Well, he had, he did have some depression. But and also, he had a lot of depression. A but lot. Look at, look at Daniel Day Lewis, right? So he would remarkable, make. Remarkable, remarkable actor from England. Amazing. If you've, if amazing. you've not seen Daniel Day Lewis. Probably the film he's best known for is called Gangs of New York. Oh, that's a good one. A great film. That's a good Continue. one. Continue. Talk about Daniel. And uh, so Daniel, you know, it would take him so long to get into a character. And, um, you know, I don't know the full story, you know, about Daniel. I don't know him personally and what he would go through to get into a character and the techniques. But, you know, I, I understand that after he would leave a set or after the production was ended, that he would go off someplace and just do a regular job, just a regular, regular, like a cobbler or a That's carpenter. That's exactly what he would do. Do regular work to get back into everyday life. And he did, now he's out of the industry, completely out. Completely, out. He, completely, he completely out. you're absolutely right. And thank you. That and I knew you were I knew where you were going with that. He's completely left acting altogether. Yep. It's interesting that I mentioned Jim Carrey losing himself to Andy Kaufman. Because it's funny because and I, the, the dichotomy of it, you just brought up the dichotomy of it. Daniel Day Lewis left the business. Andy Kaufman had a regular job. Even oh. though he was famous and worked on Taxi and worked on all of these movies, he had a regular job. He did. He worked as a waiter at a Denny's restaurant in Los Angeles. Did he really? That I didn't was a know straight that. Shoot. That was a straight shoot. That was his job. He was a busboy. A busboy and waiter. And he and did people, that his whole career. People would come up to him and go, are you Andy Kaufman? And he would say, yes. Oh, well, what are you doing here? This is my job. I work here. This is, and that, I, you can't make this shit up. I tell people, <laughs> you can't. You can't make this shit up. You can't. You really can't. No, that, you really can't. That was it. And it's funny because. Here's a guy who worked a job to stay grounded, yet Jim Carrey lost himself in this man's life. Perhaps Jim Carrey needed to bust tables at Denny's. <laughs> Maybe that was the case. Just a thought, Christine. I'm just saying. So that's so Denny's, I need to apply. <laughs> nah. 
<laughs> ah, White Castle is farming. No, <laughs> if you can oh, find right. White Castle Jersey. still around anyway. So let's talk about uh, the next one on the list. And that was the, uh, that, that film was called Swing Girl. The next one uh, was a little interesting mm. because uh, you play a refugee in a film called Firefly. Oh. Yeah. Talk to me about Firefly. What's the premise of the story? Uh, how did it come to you? And how long did it take you to say yes? It, it it didn't take me long to say yes at all, but I'll go back. I'll start from the beginning. So, uh, in uh, you know, the industry is a is a funny place, and you know, you meet people very quickly here in Boston because it's small. This is a small you know network of people, and everyone sure. knows each other. And um, but. But I was on Boston, no, I was on Backstage. And Backstage is like a casting network that you can search for jobs in Los Angeles mm -hmm. and New York and Boston, wherever you are, you can search yeah. for jobs. And one came up for, uh, for Fireflies and it was for the role to play the lead of uh, a Syrian refugee. So it's about Syrian refugees and um, it was for the lead and the, the, the part was solely based on emotion. So, you know, the director had a, sent me a couple slides, but sides, but they were only just scenes, you know, it's like Stella Adler is like, you know, imaginary work, you know, you, you, you're thinking yeah. about the scene. So it's yeah. just all the scene. And so based on the scenes, you have to bring up some emotion, what, what that brings up to you. So mm -hmm. I went, I studied this, I studied the, the scenes in terms of, you know, what the scenes looked like and the characters were. And um, I uh, I auditioned for this part, and um, I got to know the director very well, mm -hmm. and he wanted to cast someone that was actually authentic, someone that was from, you know, that was Middle Eastern. Okay. And he wound up casting two direct two actors from Los Angeles that were Middle Eastern to play these the the main part, but he okay. still wanted me on board. So, um, so, you know, I was blessed to, to get a part there and it was so, uh, the film was so touching. It was such an honor to, to work on that set because the film had to do with, um, you know, Syrian refugees that were fleeing, mm -hmm. uh, fleeing the country because of bombing and had to cross the, sure. had to cross the sea, right? To safety. Yeah. And, um, and you know, this is still happening and it's going on today and it's just awful. Oh, awful. God, yeah, sure. These people are just going through. And, you know, and the two people that were from Los Angeles, you know, they have this background and, you know, they're from these areas that are just, you know, it's it's just heartbreaking. I just want to cry right now what, what yeah. they have gone through and their family has gone to, to get gone through to get here. And um, so how much yeah. did you have to invest emotionally in, in this part? And it wasn't a huge part. No, it wasn't. A lot of the footage got cut. A lot of the footage got cut. And yeah. that, that was fine. But I had to invest a lot. And the director was kind of the director threw some things at me, some twists and turns at me, which I love the challenge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, on the day of the set, I, you know, I had a husband and, it, and, and in turn, I found out that my child uh, drowned, our, our, our daughter drowned in the sea. And, you know, my husband, you know, I, I, my husband dies and I die. 
And so I had to, uh, and I, you know, when my daughter does, so we're traveling and crossing the, the sea and we're filming in a lake. And, uh, you know, I find out my, my daughter doesn't make it, mm-hmm. but I have to wail. Yeah. I have to cry and wail like someone from Syria, like someone, you know, there's a yeah, certain sure, ritual absolutely. that you go through, but I have to be physically exhausted. I'm going through hypothermia and my daughter dies and I barely have enough energy to do anything because I'm slowly dying myself. I'm slowly freezing, but right. I have to learn how to wail. So on set, I had to research this and it was heartbreaking to watch this footage of of how you know you grieve a child yeah and uh and and that was really heartbreaking and it's a cultural thing we should point out uh we you know of course you're talking about syria is a has been and will continue to be a a war-torn part of the world you know no no getting around it it just it just is but you uh you learned quickly. I'm assuming that you learned very quickly yeah. that they grieve very, very differently than we do here. Very they, differently. They are very guttural. They throw Absolutely. their whole body into grieving. Absolutely. So, and there's a certain voice too, a certain sound that they yeah. emit. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. There, there is, and there's a reason. There's a reason for those sounds. Uh, they're actually, I don't know if you know this or not. I know a little bit about this. Um, it's actually a, a prayer. They're, they're praying. Right. As they're grieving. Right. So explain that process here. Uh, a woman from Boston that's never been to the Middle East, you know, to know, to know firsthand, but you're getting your info from, I'm guessing a videotape. Or a <laughs> yeah. clip. Right. So what are you having to glean from this? And. And when did when was that that uh, the aha moment where you went okay I have this now I know how to do this. So I was it was actually the day of filming. It was the oh, day okay. of filming that the director told me that that's what he wanted me to portray. But I already had my character down anyway. I already had in terms of in terms of knowing you know what I was going through, what my obstacles were, uh, in terms of what my emotion was, my feeling, the pain I was going through. Um, but I didn't know th- about the grieving and the wailing. And I, I tell you, you know, and and I just sat in a corner for maybe an hour or two as they were getting things set up and I had to watch and go through videos, YouTube all videos, uh, you know, Al Jazeera TV, uh, all different types of media outlets, you know, not here from the Middle East that would have these situations where you would grieve. And then also once I kind of had an idea of what that was a- about right. feeling, I could also consult the lead actor, the lead actress, because she's from that area so i could ask her how authentic and and, and it was it was it was tough for her it was just so heart-wrenching yeah <laughs> and Christine, um, i have a surprise for you you do i do we have uh we have a gentleman uh, that's going to be answering the phone momentarily <gasps> hello that? what's that voice do i know that are you voice? there hello guest hello i just wanted to call in and say Happy everything to Kristen, Christine from Hollywood. <laughs> Even Flynn is on the phone calling in from Los Angeles, California. Stephen, how you doing, brother? 
I'm good. I screwed up on my numbers there, but I wanted to call in. I know I'm not supposed to, but I was so excited. Who says you're so not supposed fantastic. to? This is Christine. She's a buddy. Yeah, Christine. She's my baby, and I just wanted to call in and go to all your viewers how wonderful she is. Oh. Gentle as a lamb. She's stronger than a lion. You know, she's Christine Nordstrom, man. I mean, class, talent, look, attitude. She's oh. got it all. You are so, that is so sweet, Stephen. Stephen, thank you so much. It's well, so nice to hear yes. your voice. For the one or two people that are living under a rock who don't know who's on the phone, Stephen Plim, of course, uh, extraordinary entertainment manager, uh, man about town, normally. Uh, Stephen is dealing with a personal grief right now. We won't. We will not discuss that, and we will not disclose that. But Stephen is a is a man of his word. He said he was going to call in and and talk to Christine and I, and uh, and we just uh, Stephen. I wish you a safe travels uh, when you get back to Des Moines, Iowa. Um, we will be here uh, with open arms, waiting for you, and uh, you know. And I uh, I hope that the that the pain subsides for you swiftly. Thank you, Angelo. You're the best, and you know you're you're just the best. And uh, while you have Christine on there, I just wanted to call in, not butt in, but call in. And I'm telling you, all your viewers. I hope are we on are we on the air right now? I hope we, we are. We are on. Yeah, we're we're here. All you, <laughs> we're here. All, <laughs> I want all your viewers to know that Christine Nordstrom is as gentle as a lamb. And stronger than a lion, she is going to be, you know, class, talent, look, attitude. She's a tough oh. She's got it all. She's got it all, baby. Nobody, oh, can stop her. Nobody, nobody can stop her. She is just something else. And I've been in this business. I'll tell you what, 40. I told everybody I was going to grill her like a steak tonight, but it's kind of been like bacon cookies. It's been sweet all around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you well, guys are so nice. Knowing Christine from the small time that I know her, she could grill you, man, and grill me. She's the best. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I don't uh, want to bring that Christine out. <laughs> well, well, Stephen, I'll, I'll listen, I know that you've got um, a, a lot on your plate, brother. I'm going to let you go. We just wanted to touch base with you. Um, thank you for uh, for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Um You'll be back in a couple of days, I'm guessing, and uh, we will have you back on the air so people can look at your pretty face and talk about life in the world of Stephen M. Plim. M stands for money, by the way. Um, well, uh, beautiful face is a euphemism, but I'd like to be back on with my girl, Christine. Absolutely. She, Aww. Listen, you. I know people around here. I could arrange this. <laughs> <laughs> I can make that happen. I want all your view before I close out. I want yeah. all your viewers to hear this because I know there's a lot out there. Okay, I want to say something to all your viewers. Yes, Christine sir. Nordstrom. Okay, I've never felt this way, and I've handled stars for 35 years plus. Okay, I'm absolutely positive. No holds barred. She is unbelievable artist, and she's gonna make it, and I know that. From the bottom Aww. of my heart. Stephen, can I tell her? Stephen, can I can I share Stephen 
a, a little bit of our private conversation with her. Can I tell her what I said? Anything I told want, Stephen that you remind me of a young Bonnie Bedelia. Who's that? She's too young to remember, Stephen. Take it as a compliment. I told her, yes, of course. And I told her she reminds me of Audrey Hepburn. So if she can't me- oh, remember yeah. what you just said, she can't remember Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn was the epitome of class, talent, look, and attitude. And that is what Christine is. She Breakfast is. at Tiffany's, baby. Breakfast at uh, Tiffany's. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank the greatest Steve. movie of all. You know, and she has it all. She, that's Absolutely. The I know it's a cliche, but Christine is the it girl. You oh. either have it or you don't. Right. And she has it. And I've been around this business too long to make a mistake. She to make a mistake. She has it. She is going to be a phenomenal star. Absolutely. Man. Yeah. Well, Thank we're going to make that happen. Thank you. I want to. I want to introduce her to the world, and yep. uh, and then of course I'm going to have you back. Uh, probably in a couple of weeks here, maybe a week and a half. Um. But I'm going to let you go right now because I know you've got a, an awful lot going on. There is a yep. time difference. There's a three-hour time difference. Uh, yep. Stephen, of course, is in Los Angeles right now. Um, not that he wants to be, but that's where he is. Uh, and you will soon be back in Des Moines, Iowa, where we will catch up with you. And, uh, and, 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 a, and a happier time. Okay? How about that? I know, and thank you. And... Uh... Please tell Christine if she's listening. She I is. Down the, okay, I walked down the Hollywood Hall of Fame today like I've done a million times because I used <laughs> to live there, right? I used to live there, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm walking over the stars, and I, it, it just hit me like what you put on there, Angelo, you know? Here, her name is Christine Nordstrom. And oh. she, let me tell you something. All the listeners, okay? Christine knows it. Angelo knows it, and I know it. But here's for your listeners tonight. She, her star will be there someday, and I'm so proud to just be a part of it because she is unfucking believable. There, oh, right there. there you go. I knew there was going to be one F-bomb. I knew there was going to be one F-bomb dropped. Not like last time, I just dropped one F-bomb. I know. It's she all... Is. Stephen, it's uh, yeah. all good. I got yeah. news for you, brother. I, I've really been on my best behavior tonight. I haven't dropped any. <laughs> it, no, it, ask Christine. She'll tell you. I'm not, not one. one. Not one. Not one. Well, Very proud you know of what? myself. Well, I will, I'll, I'll drink to that. Of course, I'll, I'll drink to anything. But yeah. <laughs> he only drinks when he's alone or with somebody. <laughs> That's my line. Or when there's a circus in town and when there's not. That's the only time I drink. Well, Stephen, uh, we love you, brother, and I'm going to let you go. Um, okay, thank you. You got it, bro. We'll catch up when you get back, okay? Bye, Stephen. Okay. Thank Take you. Care, Stephen. Christine, Take care, Stephen. Christine, I love you. Way to go, baby. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for all your well wishes. You go take care of yourself, okay? I will, and you two guys. Uh, great show, and congratulations. Thank you, Stephen. Take care, brother. Okay, baby. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. There you go. 
you know, we couldn't get through the night without talking to Steve Plant. Thank you for he, bringing him on. We spoke earlier. He was going to try. He called in the wrong number, though. He <laughs> called my cell phone instead of the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's all. Good. So we were talking about um, the, um, the the refugee woman. So it was a pretty emotional role for you. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't a huge role. No, um, it was bigger. It was supposed to be bigger, but we cut a lot of. See, we they the director, you know that's what happens in film, right? You get a part, you get a part, you do the acting, and then the director at when, when he's doing post production, he's like, no, how do you, as the actress, as the performer, how do you, knowing at any given time, yeah, that a part can be cut down or in some cases take completely out. eliminated. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you make your mark on that film? You know, it's tough. It's like this one. This was my first time that ever happened to me where I prepared so long for a character. I did a lot of work for a character. I mean, I was drowning in a lake you know, at one o'clock in the morning and I had to drown over and over and, and over, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I yeah. had to wail and do all these things. And so I thought this scene was going to be much more intense. So this was my first time where I actually had that realization. Yeah. That the, the realization that, hey, if I go on a project, it's up to the director whether he wants to keep me in there or not. I might get the part, exactly. but they might just completely exclude the part. And so exactly. there's nothing like there's nothing and you there's, can do. It's you feel helpless. There's nothing you can do. And sometimes cutting a small but crucial part can make or break a film. That's right. It's happened time and time again. We can we can just, you know, throw out one name after another of, of films that would have been different movies had they kept or uh, omitted certain parts uh i'll give you a perfect example dances with wolves kevin costner's film in premise a great film mm. however it was three and a half hours long that was a long movie apparently kevin costner doesn't like to edit out but he's done that with all of his films because he's got creative control and because he's with an, an actor's actor, mm. he likes to keep everything in. That's not always feasible. I watched another film, a Kevin Costner film the other night, Waterworld. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a three hour and 20 minute movie. That's right. That was a very long. I forgot about that long, one. It's like a marathon. That's not yeah. a movie. It's a marathon. <laughs> You need a day. You need a, a whole day just to watch Waterworld and Dances with Wolves. And if you throw JFK in there, you need a whole weekend. There's your weekend. It's gone. gone. It's gone. With three movies. Gone. But Kevin Costner's that kind of guy. Oh. That he just likes, he likes to leave everything in. I, You know, I don't know why. You know, edit for content, edit out. You can always edit back in, you know, later for the director's cut. 
Sure. You know, but don't give them three and a half hours right out of the box. You know, you got to train for that kind of movie. That's a long time. That's, That's a, a long, long time. time I mean, to I, sit in the theater. <laughs> you know, I need that kind of movie. I need my exercise. I need my sleep. I need my rest. <laughs> Want to watch that kind of film? But, so you had this film. You played this re- refugee, and so you gave it what you. Now, how much ended up? Did we establish, Christine, whether was the whole part cut or was it just a small bit? Oh, it was the. It was my whole part. It was my the whole, whole part. It was it was my whole part that was cut. I was still credited, and I think there is a scene where you can. There's a couple angles where you can see me in the boat. Right. Um, where you you know you can see me. So so you know I am seen. I do have a credit for it, um, which is fine. I'm happy that I have the credit. I'm happy. The experience of being on that set was just it, it's invaluable. The next film. Uh, is a film called Origin. It was. It's a short. Oh yeah. So let's talk about that. How did? What's the basis of this movie? Yeah. Um Why was it done as a short rather than a feature? Yeah. And what was your connection to it? So uh, it was interesting. So I found this part again. Um, I found this part that was on. It was listed on uh, on one of the casting networks, and it was from a local producer who just had graduated school and uh, film school. And uh, it was, you know, maybe his second, second project that he was working on, but the content, the, you know, the content for this project was, uh, was, was fascinating. So the project was, uh, you know, origin is about, is about a boy's, um, you know, a boy's troubled life and having an abused father. Mm-hmm. And I play, I play the mother and the way, the, and, oh. and having an abused father and abuse, you know, just a, just a dysfunctional family and how he learns to escape from that. Right. right? And, um, and with the help of a bartender that knows his father, because the father is an alcoholic comes and drinks all the time. Yeah. The bartender comes to rescue me because my husband ultimately wants to kill me. He tries to kill me. Mm-hmm. And so, but the bartender comes to my rescue and saves me. So I play this little boy's mother and I'm pregnant and um, I'm pregnant. And my husband is just a raging alcoholic drinking all the time. And I try to protect my son against yeah. him. And, um, and that was, you know, in, in that reading it, Automatically, I fell in love with it because it has to do with domestic violence, and domestic violence is all too prevalent in today's society. Yeah, and so it just—it uh, was something that was a no-brainer for me to take. So it's interesting uh, that it's—if um, this is the right film, <laughs> um, I'm showing there are two films called The Process. This is. This was a film called The Process that you did. Oh, yeah. Uh, in 2020. Yeah. Now, um, it's interesting because there was another film called The Process that came up when looking for this that was uh, that actually starred some people that I know. Oh. Uh, some professional wrestlers, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but you did uh, a, a film called... Uh, after Origin, a film called The Process in 2020. That's right. Another uh, a film listed as a short where your character, um, 
I'm guessing it was uh, another, like, a mom part. It was a mom part. It was a mom part. And this is where I'm getting into the more mature roles, you know, into something, you know, not. And this was interesting because actually this was a feature film. And it was the first time that this uh, this filmmaker had done a feature film and had some really great backing, you know, some really good financial support, right. really good backing and some really great, fantastic people working from, you know, some, you know, uh, you know, some of his uh, production people from coming from came in from Los Angeles and some came from New York. And he worked with a really great, great team to to create this feature film, which is on Amazon now. And um, and yes, I play the uh, mother of the main character and I'm kind of, you know, I support him and, uh, you know, he's kind of like like the kid that wants to move forward, but all his friends mm-hmm. kind of hold him back, try to keep him in the same thing. Kind of like yeah. me. I lost my friends, you know, because they wanted me to sure. be the same. You know, they wanted me to stay the same. Well, the, how much how much realism did that create for you and how much realism did you create for your character in turn? And was it, was it a, a moment of, uh, of reckoning that you realized what was happening at the time? It was, uh, it was, it, it was a moment that, you know, when I got the script and read it, I couldn't make the connection right away. But when I sat down and had a one-to-one, you know, the main character and I did this back back and forth a little bit. Yeah, so sure. we could, and it right away it clicked. Right away it clicked. Everything clicked. And even the people that were on the set were like, do you guys know each other? Because you guys flow. Like, you have this rhythm about you. And then and no, once, she's playing my life. <laughs> once, and once I was in this character, once I was in it, then yeah. I got it. Then exactly. I had that. Then I had the realization, like this guy, this this is exactly, you know, this is my yeah, life. This yeah. is my life. Yeah. Is that difficult or is that easier for you? Easier because it's it, it's it helps lift me up and lift other well, people. And it's probably easier also because it's you're coming from a place you know. Right. You're coming from a familiar place. That's a very good point. That's you know, right. and that's what the you know Strasbourg was all about. That. You know, recognizing your surroundings, big part of that. Um, what other, and talking about acting for a little, talk a little bit of, uh, about the process of learning to act. Because everybody, it's funny because at the onset of this show tonight, I said there are any number of working actors and talent has nothing to do with any of them. Um, and I named a few. But there are a lot of movies being cranked out. A lot. A lot of movies are being cranked out. By anybody who's got a camera, or in some cases not even a camera, a cell phone. Right. People are making whole movies and editing them on cell phones. So the acting process and the process of learning to act is as different now as it has ever been in history. Absolutely. There was a time that you would go and learn from Stella Adler or right. Uta Hagen, or you would go and sit with Lee Strasberg, right. you know, or um, Stanley Meisner or Meisner, people like yeah. that, right? Now, that's, that's passe, Right. Now it doesn't matter. 
Who was your, uh, who'd you learn to act? Who was your teacher? I just watched videos on YouTube. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Look, it happens in the world of wrestling. You know, how'd you learn to wrestle? I used to watch YouTube a lot. Really? I don't want you. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Yeah. I think yeah. that. But let's talk about that. I want to talk about the process of acting because it is a dying art form. Um, you know, on this show, and you've, you've been around us long enough to know, you know, we started out as a professional wrestling show. But wrestling is, let's just be honest about it, it's theater. It's acting. So there's a great similarity between what my people did and what you do. You're performing a character. Um, but we teach our actors, our actors, called quote-unquote actors, you know, our wrestlers, we teach them how to wrestle. We teach them learning the, the process of falling properly so you don't kill yourself, uh, selling an injury, how to make yourself look like you're getting killed when you're okay. It's a performance art. And that's what acting used to be. It was a process. It's no longer a process. Now you've got anybody and their brother who think they can make a movie and do it effectively. Talk to me about the frustrations you find in that scenario. Okay. Because it frustrates the hell out of me, I'll be honest with you. Well, I got to tell you what's really frustrating me right now is I thought wrestling was 100% real. I didn't know that you had to do all these theatrics. I didn't know it was pretend. I thought it was real. You. Angelo, my heart just sank. <laughs> got a friend of mine named Bill Apter. Shout out, by the way, to Bill Apter. He wrote a book called His Wrestling Fixed. I didn't know it was broke. Um, that's the name <laughs> of the book. His Wrestling Fixed? Question mark. I didn't know it was broke. Um, yeah, that's the name of the book. I swear it's a great book, too. Um, but the, 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 uh, the gist of what I'm saying, and you can relate to, is that there are people who have no place in front of a camera, just like there are people in my industry who have no place in a professional wrestling ring where they very well may kill themselves. It's theater, but it's athletic theater. It's physical theater. It's performance art, yes. However, it, like everything else, requires a degree of skill mm. and training. Where are our actors and actresses being trained today? Talk to me. It's it's interesting because, uh, you know, there's a certain mindset. I think there's two different mindsets, maybe three. There's a mindset now that uh, if you have a look, a certain look. Yeah. Uh, that you'll you know you can get the part because a sure. casting director is looking for a certain look. They don't necessarily care about you know your acting skills. Maybe you can do a couple on scene camera workshops and they like your look, right. and then they're going to carry your look through in movies. I'm not going to name actors that are out there that do this, but they mm -hmm. play the same character because they're themselves, sure. and they play that in all their movies just because they have a look. I will tell you. Uh Robert De Niro does that. Joe Pesci does that. 
Um, Al Pacino does that. They are playing every movie they do. They're playing themselves. They every I watch Robert De Niro in ten films. I'm going to see the same performance in ten films. Uh, but Taxi, right? Taxi Driver, that first one that he was. That he was, was before he was uh, jaded to the business. Yeah, okay. All right. Good point. That was before he was jaded to the business when he still cared about acting. Now he's rich, old, and has a ton of money and he could give a shit. And that's the truth. Yeah. And I'm just going to say it like it is. He could care less. It's like, you know, like my wife and I were talking the other day. They made their money. They don't care anymore. Mm. They made their money. They don't care. Who cares? Somebody like Christine Nordstrom, who hasn't made her million yet, <laughs> she cares a lot. Wait a minute, million. <laughs> million. So, talk to me. Let, let's have yeah. this discussion. So then, I don't want to shy away from this stuff. Yeah. Oh, of course not. So then there's that that mindset, you know, that that thing where oh, you have a certain look, and you know, then once you get on set, they can they can give you a few you know pointers and things here, and then you can develop your skills on. on on set, but you have that look, and that look will carry you yeah, through. Eighteen blonde hair, blue eyes, and big boobs, <laughs> which doesn't last long. Which, which doesn't last. Which long. doesn't last long doesn't at all. Doesn't last Absolutely. long. Yep. Thank and you. then, and then you have this other mindset where, yeah, you go to acting school, you go to theater school, you learn Stella Adler, you learn Meisner, you learn Chekhov. You learn Stanislavski. You learn mm -hmm. the core technique. Anton Chekhov, yeah. Oh, uh, Michael Chekhov. Michael Chekhov. Oh, Anton, oh, Anton Chekhov was the author. I'm sorry. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, Michael Chekhov. Sorry, room with the view. <laughs> so, uh, and then you have those people, the old school people like Uta Hagen, you know, like, you know, back in the old Hollywood that would go and study really hard, sure. study theater. And we need to, I am one of those people that, let's bring that back. That is Do the you know who Larry Moss is? What's that? Do you know who Larry Moss is? I do not. I want you to do something while we're, while we're here. And do okay. this, we're going to do this live. Okay. I want you to Google Larry Moss. Let's see, Larry Moss. He is one of the premier acting coaches in the world. And most people don't ever know his name. Oh, here he is, Larry Moss. For 35 years, acting coach Larry Moss Studio and Workshop. Oh, with Oscar-winning actors. Oh, here yeah, he is. This man's name should be a household name with all of the people that worked under him and that he trained. This is the point I'm trying to make. And you're, you're making the point for me because I wanted you to do it and not me. Okay. Larry Moss is a, a veteran acting coach. Veteran acting coach. Has been around forever. And has some of the most accredited people in the world as students. But you'll never know his name. And there's a reason for that. He's so particular about who he takes, who he accepts as a student, that you've got to be so dedicated, so committed, that it's like your job, that it becomes your job. Becoming an, an acting student with him 
is like going to work every day. He's got an incredible roster here. Leonardo DiCaprio. No oh, my goodness. Read and them off. Amazing, amazing actor. Amazing. Christine, read, read some off. Uh, let's see. We have Hillary Swank. And this is just on, I'm just on his, you know, quick. Yeah. Uh, Gary Ross. Frank. Oh, oh, five uh, or six of them. Good. Yeah, uh, Darabont. Who else does he have now? I, I, then he's also off Broadway. Um, Absolutely. I just can't even. There's just so much. So much. Yeah, that's the point I'm trying to make. Helen the Hunt. Oh my God, Hillary Swank. Yeah, yeah, Melinda. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Toby remarkable. Man has a remarkable resume. But most people will never know who he is because if you're, if you're not committed to the business, if you're not committed to the skill and the heart and soul of an actor, he doesn't even want to talk to you. And trust me, he can afford not to talk to you. That's a guy you want to be with. That's yeah. a guy you want to associate with. Absolutely. Remarkable guy. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me look him up. Yeah, and I want you to jot his name down. Um, let's talk. We only have a few moments left. Let's talk about uh, the the last and final um, film that I have here. Uh, and I don't know if it's been released yet because there's no I couldn't find a trailer on it. It's called The Night Train, and you play a character named Donna King. Oh, yeah. That was uh, that was given to me. You know, that part was filmed in 2016, 2017. So that part, okay. that, yeah, so that, that it's was. It's been uh, hanging around for a while. It's been hanging around for a while. It's still in post-production. <laughs> so in Four years that later. Happens, <laughs> that, that happens with some films. Some films get tied up in post-production for an awful long time, and you don't know. You know, you don't know when it's going to come into fruition. And that's, you know, that's a part of the, the uh, you know, the other part about the acting in the industry is that, you know, you can take on a, a, a role, but, um, but, you know, you might not see that film for the next few years. Well, yeah. as long as they pay you for it. They pay me for it and I'm happy. I was happy about it. And it was my well, first role and I play a mob boss's wife and the mob boss's wife who is, um, you know, she's two timing on her husband and, uh, oh. and it was, that, that's it. She's she going to get whacked. I, I can tell you right. Oh, but it turns out that I was actually, so my husband was just living off of my coattails, right? Because it was my father who was the one, who was the mob boss. He was the big guy. It was my okay, dad. Okay, gotcha. So, uh, so your so father I wind up, was the godfather. So what's that? Your father was the godfather. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> yes. That's and so, so I want that film is uh, is it scheduled for release or is it still It's still in post production. After um, 4 years, 5 years, they're still what are they doing? Yeah, you know, there's some directors out there that are just so finicky about uh, about editing and scenes and how things should look. Who's and, the director? Um the director is a man Sam Sam Alfred. Okay. Um, yeah, so he's been, he, you know, worked in a couple of the shorts before and, uh, you oh, know, I know who he is. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, out in the, the, like the Fitchburg, Lem, you know, Lemonster area. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so so yeah he's been working on it a little bit you know some it's it's like songwriting right there's some songwriters out there and some musicians out there that they write a great song but they don't want to release it because they want to redo it and make it better then they listen to it again then they want to redo it and make it better then they say no it's not good enough i need to redo it and make it better they don't want to let it go out into the universe oh well, yeah but if i you, know if you take that <laughs> premise if you take that premise for every great piece of work, right, there would never have been The Godfather. Absolutely. There would never have been Schindler's List. Right. And, you know, I mean, name every great, you know, there would, if Orson Welles had that mindset, there would never have been Citizen Kane. You know? Interesting point. Well, yeah, yeah because it, look, sometimes you just have to put it out. That's right. And let it let nature take where it's going to take. That's you, right. You can you can love something so much as a project that becomes your baby. That's but right. if your baby doesn't grow up, your baby dies in your hands. That's absolutely you have right. To let your baby grow. That's your app that's an extremely good point. You're absolutely right. That's why I get paid the big bucks. <laughs> well listen, let's promote what you've got. Um, tell everybody where they can reach you. Do you have an IMDb page and all that? And so tell everybody where Christine Nordstrom can be found and where people can, uh, find your clips, your headshots. If they want an autographed picture, where can they get one? Oh, um, so yeah. So everybody, you can follow me. I am at, uh, Christine Nordstrom on Facebook. And then also I have links posted to my IMDB page and I am the only Christine Nordstrom on IMDB. So Christine Nordstrom, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, Nordstrom like the store. And I'm the only one there. And then you'll have links to my films. Um, you'll have find links there also to, I think some other channels whether it's uh instagram and twitter instagram and twitter you can find me at a little underscore naughty like n-o-r-d n-o-r-d-y um a little naughty a little naughty yeah like nordstrom kind of like a play on nerdy a little naughty i put me a little naughty <laughs> well <laughs> However way you want to take it. <laughs> uh, only when Stephen Plim is on the show. Oh. <laughs> That's the only time Christine Nordstrom gets naughty is when Stephen Plim is on the show. <laughs> oh, I don't but get But she will be back in a couple of weeks. Oh, my ears. So uh, you're okay. You're all good. It's all good. So we will tell everyone. Uh, hit up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. She's really easy to find. A little underscore. Nordy N O R D I, right? I N O R D Y. Oh, it's a Y on it. Oh, a I thought it was an I. Okay, okay. <laughs> N O R D I. A little underscore Nordy N O R D Y. All right. So now, uh, with that in mind, um, we will. Uh, I think we ha have a couple of announcements to make. I'm going to pull back a little bit. Uh, Dan, the man, Sebastiano, the happy haberdasher, the smartest guy in the room, and Big Ben Scala, hashtag Scala from Ocala, will be back with Wrestling with the Future. The wrestling episodes will commence shortly. We are coming back from our, our New Year's break. Um, we had a Christmas uh, to New Year's, a little uh, break in between. 
I think we only did one show. Uh, of course, uh, the late John Huber passed away, um, a.k.a. Brody Lee, also known as Luke Harper. He passed away. So we did we did interrupt our break uh, to do a, a tribute show to him. I will no longer be hosting the wrestling show. I am concentrating my efforts, quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, I'm over the wrestling. I'm, it's 50 years is too much for me. It's been well, it's maybe just enough, but I'm done. Um, I'm doing what I like now. I'm talking to, to celebrities. That's what I do. That's what I did before. That's what I'm doing again. So uh, we will have, and some of the people coming up Thursday night this week, um, Mad Maxine, the Chronicles of Mad Maxine. We'll talk about that book and, uh, Talk about uh, our, its author, its colorful author, Janine Mzosef. Um, Try saying that one. Janine Mzosef will be here. Uh, former pro wrestler turned book author. We will also have with us Stefan Bonner from the world of UFC. Uh, joining us, the Ghost Hunters will be here. On January the 21st, the Ghost Hunter crew will be with us. We will also talk to America's TV Elvis. If you grew up and watched television back in the 70s and 80s, you knew the name Pete Wilcox. He was on Charles in Charge, Murphy Brown, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley. Uh, you name it, you, you could hardly find a show without that didn't feature America's TV Elvis, Pete Wilcox. He'll be with us. Scott Teal, wrestling book author will return on February the 2nd. We will also have with us uh, Mary Ann. I want to get Mary Ann's last name for you. Um, good Lord. They didn't put her last name in my book. I'm going to smack somebody. Um, <laughs> we will be featuring a special episode. Let's just put it this way, folks. Is Paul McCartney really dead? Well, we'll <laughs> find out from Mary Ann and her writing partner. Uh, and I will tell you who they are in just a minute. I have to do this because if, if I don't give these poor ladies credit, it's going to be horrible. <laughs> so let me just make sure that we have Marianne here. Marianne Howard. Thank you. Marianne Howard will be here to discuss the book, The Man in the Shadow. Uh, it purports to tell the story of a replacement Paul McCartney. They're telling me that Paul McCartney is not Paul McCartney. His name is Billy Campbell. So we'll find out, is he uh, or isn't he? Interesting conversation we're going to have with Mary Ann Howard. So, we're getting some feedback now. Wow. Hey, and it went away that fast. Crazy. I'm gonna shut this down. Is that my what the heck is happening here? Sorry, folks. Well, Christine, thank you for being with us. I am going to uh I'm going to scoot out of here. Thanks for joining us. And uh as we say on every episode, happy wrestling, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Take Bye. care. Thank you. Good bye night. bye. Bye bye.